So today, today is actually part three of this series. Last week was a, a little bit of a one-off with a profession of faith that we had here, but it was all from Ephesians. So I, last week I jumped ahead to chapter four because it fit the context of what we did here last week. So, so this week I'm backing up again and we're going back to chapter two and talking about Ephesians and, and what it means for us to be God's people living in faith. What comes next after that? So we do that. Now, if you're the kind of person who you bring your own Bible to church, like your, your own Bible that you write notes in and follow along with that kind of thing, all right, if you're really, really good at that, maybe you're going to notice that, wait a minute, I preached on this passage before. And I did write a new sermon for this, but, but there will be a little bit of overlap. In, in fact, it was September of 2018. So if your memory is really sharp and you remember that four years ago, you get bonus points today. And, and today is just review. But uh, I don't know, I have a hard time remembering things that happened four years ago. So, so maybe this is a good refresher for all of us to hear some of this again. Because this part of Ephesians is central. You can't read through the book of Ephesians and not stop here on these verses in chapter 2 because it sets up so much of where the Apostle Paul takes the letter after that. So, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Here's what Paul writes there. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I, two weeks ago when I began this series, talking about what it means for us to be people who are meant for more, I, I talked about one of those, well, more disappointing vacations that I had as a young boy, that time when my parents took the whole family up to the Upper Peninsula and drive forever and then hike forever into the woods and you get to Tequamanon Falls and we just stand and look at it. That's it. I, I'm 10 years old, and I was expecting, where are the rafts so that we can get in the river and ride over it? That seems like it's something that we should do. It seemed like there should have been more, except to just stand there and look at water. 
I think Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus with that same kind of thing in mind. These are new Christians. They've come to faith. They've come to believe the message of Jesus and the gospel. And then they're asking, what's next? Is there more? Is there more to this life of faith than simply accepting the gospel message? But what comes after that? What more is there? That's what the book of Ephesians is about, that Paul is writing to a group of believers who have accepted the gospel message and are now asking, so what's next? What more is there to this life of faith that we have in Jesus? That's what we're considering with this series as we read through the book of Ephesians. So, in this passage in particular, these first 10 verses of Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul is laying out a contrast. A contrast between, I'm just going to call it, two worlds, as it was. And, and you can note that in the passage as we read it, because Paul ref- he repeats certain phrases. So one of those worlds that he talks about is the world of being dead in sin, or uh, in the NIV translation that we have it, it calls it transgressions. So two times in this passage, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions, dead in your sins. That was the world that you used to be in, a world where you were dead in that. And it's those first five verses that talk about that. But then you look at verse five, in the middle of verse five, it it flips, switches. And now there's something different. Another world that he contrasts, a world where it's about being alive in Christ. In fact, we, we read 10 verses here today out of this. In those 10 verses, six times Paul says that we are in Christ or with Christ. That it's very important that what Paul is saying here now is there is a proximity that we have with Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's a proximity to Jesus being in Jesus and with Jesus that makes us alive. That we are alive in Christ. And there's two phrases there that Paul repeats in this one as well. It is by grace you have been saved. That this life that we have in Christ that we now enjoy is something that comes to us by grace. That's what Paul is talking about in this. So here's what I want us to do with that passage today. I want us to consider what that means for the way we live now. So if there's something more to this Christian life that happens after we accept the gospel, after we come to faith, how is Paul framing that for us in this passage today? Because I think if we picture it, try to picture how grace works, Maybe that will be helpful and way to do that. All right, so I brought a few things to help. Um, I'm not actually going to hula hoop here today because that wouldn't be pretty and that wouldn't be good for any of us. But I want us to see this as an example of two different circles. Two circles that we would picture as this contrast, a contrast that Paul is making here in this passage. In one circle, we would call it the circle of being dead in sin. So this is where we all were at one time. We're all inside of that. That's what Paul is saying in this passage, right? That we were dead in our transgressions. We're all located in this circle. But then God comes in grace. 
and in his grace, he makes us alive in Christ. So there's a new circle, a different world, the world of being alive in Christ. And because of grace, Paul says, we're no longer dead in sin, but now we're alive in Christ. I wonder how many of us picture grace like that. These two circles. I mean, the contrast is there in this passage. But is that the picture that belongs in our head with something like that? Because if that's it, there's a couple things that I would notice about that. If if there's one circle over on one side and one circle on the other, and you're either dead in sin or alive in Christ, and, and it's grace, the grace of God, that pulls you out of the one and places you in the other. Can we note a few things about that? If dead and sin and alive in Christ are separate worlds, then life in Christ, I would characterize with two things. That it's divided and it's static. Let me explain what I mean by that. So if if this is the picture, there's one circle over here, dead in sin. There's another circle over here, it's alive in Christ. And if that's how they are, then they're divided and static. Divided in that they're apart from each other. You can only be in one or the other. I mean, I, I kicked them apart a little too far for me to put a foot in both. Because Paul is saying they're divided, they're not the same. How in the world could it be that if you are alive in Christ that you could also be dead in sin. That doesn't make sense. You can't be both. So there's a division between them. And it's also static. What I mean by static is it doesn't move. It stays in one place. You're either in one or you are in the other. And because of grace... What Paul says in this passage, we don't do anything on our own to move from one to the other. We can't do anything. That's why Paul says, not by works, so that no one can boast. But it's grace, grace that God brings to take us from one circle, put us into the other circle. But it's static. You don't move. We can't move. Because God does all the moving with his grace. I wonder how many of us picture it like that when we read about contrast. Because we have analytical minds and we like to put things into categories and think of it better that way. But I'm left with a few questions then. And maybe you are too. So if God comes in grace, and in grace... Christ comes and I'm taken from this world of being dead in sin and I am brought into this world of being alive in Christ. Then why do I still struggle with sin? I thought I was dead to that. In fact, I thought I wasn't even in that circle anymore. So why am I in a world where I still see so much brokenness around me. Why am am I in a world where I still struggle? I still sin? 
if grace was supposed to rescue me from that. Now, maybe some people try to work their way around this and explain this as, as making this as, as more of a future tense thing. Well, the, I mean, the salvation that we have, it, it's, it's telling of something that's yet coming. That when Jesus returns and makes all things new, then, then we'll be fully alive in Christ. That it's looking to something in the future. But, but in this passage, Paul says twice, by grace you have been saved. Not, not, not you will be saved. It's not coming later. Paul is talking about it like it's already happened. We're already there. We should already be living in that world of being alive in Christ. So I'm left kind of stuck with this picture. There's a few questions that don't make sense to me if that's the picture of what grace looks like. But maybe we can consider something different, huh? Maybe we can picture this a little different way. Because we'll start with what Paul says. Yes, we are people who are dead in sin. That's how we begin. That's where we are. But then, how do we actually picture grace? Does Jesus bring us to him? Or does Jesus come to us? Am I in a place where, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of in both. Now, this takes a little bit of thinking because I think Paul sets this up as a contrast that maybe it's supposed to be one or the other, but, but follow this one through. That if we are alive in Christ, it's not because we've escaped by anything we do from the world of sin. It's not that Jesus even pulls us out of that world of sin. But what does the gospel say? The gospel says that Jesus came into that world of sin. He came to us where we are. He lived the life that we could never live for us. He died the death that we were supposed to die for us. He came back to life because of his perfect righteousness as the Son of God. And he gives that righteousness to us so that we live in him, with him. But we're still in a broken world, aren't we? There's a bit of an overlap. I'm, I'm kind of standing in both at the same time that way. But think about this picture. Think about how this looks now. Because if in the one picture they were separated, divided, and static, nothing moves, this one's a little bit different. Because if being dead in sin and alive in Christ are overlapping worlds, then life in Christ, what it means for us to be people of faith, what it means for us to follow God in faith, now it's incarnate. And dynamic. Incarnate and dynamic. Incarnate meaning Jesus has come to us. That the reality of what it means to be alive in Christ takes shape in us. 
Because Paul says six times in these ten verses, we're in Christ. We are with Christ. We're joined together with Christ. That the incarnation of Jesus now takes shape in his church, which the Bible calls the body of Christ. That God, through his Holy Spirit, poured out upon the the church that God now works through the people of his church, that we are the incarnation of God's love in this world as the Holy Spirit works through us, his people. It's incarnate. We don't escape and go to God, but God comes and joins himself to us. And it's also dynamic. So if if the one was static, you can't move. It's stuck. You're either in one or the other. Now this picture is a little bit more dynamic. Dynamic meaning, you know what? It can move. There's a place in our life then where God gives us movement. Now I think Paul's clear on this. He's clear to say, you know what? It's Jesus who makes this possible not by anything that we do, that we don't save ourselves. But, follow this one now, because we are saved by God. Because we have received grace, we've been given a freedom in Christ. A freedom that allows us to take some steps. We can't fully step out of a world of sin ourselves. We can't do that. Only God can do that for us. But what we do know from the gospel is this, that with the Holy Spirit residing within us, that we take steps towards being what God has created us to be. In the church, we call that sanctification, right? It's a lifelong process for those of us who live in faith, that we take one step at a time giving ourselves a little bit more distance from that world of sin, even though it still has a hold on us. And we take one step at a time, giving us a little bit more proximity to being closer to what it means that we live in Christ. That We take those steps. We move in that. I think that's what Paul is setting up for us here. I think that's what this passage is about. Because if Ephesians, if the letter of Ephesians is really about how it is we live as people who have been saved, how it is we live now as people of faith, then Paul isn't going to leave us with a picture where we're stuck, but he's going to leave us with a picture where we move. We take some steps. We go forward. All of that he sets up then to be in this last verse that we read today. All of that is a setup for this when he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the so what. It's the what's next. It's it's what we're meant for more to be about. That all of this that God has brought to us, that he became incarnate and lived a world in a world broken by sin so that we could be united with him, all of that grace that we've received now has a result, 
a result that because we are God's handiwork, that we can take steps towards him. Only in him, only with him, only because of the grace that we've been given. But now, there are things in this world which God has prepared in advance for us to do as a response to the grace that we've been given. Catch that part, a response. It's not how we earn it. It's not how we prove to God that we deserve it. I think Paul's pretty clear in this passage about that. We can't earn it. We can't do anything. But we can respond in how we live to that. So what does that look like? What are these good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do? So, so we, we've, we've established that there's a picture, a picture of some overlapping circles, and there's movement within that, and it's the grace of God that has brought us into that. But give me some practical examples. What do those good works look like? Well, Paul doesn't ignore that either. I'm not going to read all of it because it actually begins in chapter 4, verse 17, and it goes all the way to chapter 6, verse 9. Paul takes the entire second half of the letter of Ephesians to answer this one question that's here in chapter 2, verse 10. So if you are God's handiwork and you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works and God has prepared those good works in advance for you to do, what do those good works look like? Paul says in the whole last half of Ephesians, let me give you some examples of what that looks like to live as God's handiwork. I'm not going to read all that today. In fact... Let me give the plug for this one again. It's on our reading schedule for this week. So if you're reading along with us through the book of Ephesians, you're going to read these chapters this week. But I'm setting up this way because if you do read those chapters and verses this week, I want us to see everything in the last half of Ephesians through this frame, through this lens, that everything Paul talks about at the end of Ephesians all comes out of this one verse. What it means to be God's handiwork in Christ Jesus, doing the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. All right, a, li a little bit of a forecast for that then. A little bit of how that comes to us, for us to see. In chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, Paul talks about personal holiness. So if you begin reading the end of chapter 4 and all the things that Paul talks about of what it means to be a person of personal holiness, he talks about things like living with truth instead of lies, living with kindness instead of anger, living with honesty instead of stealing. All of that is at the end of chapter 4. And all of those he gives as examples. Here's an example of what it means to live as God's handiwork when you live like that, embracing those values. Chapter 5. Now, in Ephesians 5, Paul starts talking about examples of relationships. Let's talk about the relationships we have. And he begins with home family relationships. Husbands, wives, those who live together as couples, that there are ways that you can live together as a family that echo and that mirror what it means to be God's handiwork. 
So when you read about that in chapter 5, you know, these are not, these are not rules. Not rules of, okay, now if you really want to be a Christian, you better check all these things off the box. No, Paul is giving examples. Examples that come from his time and in his context of, and this is what it would look like for us to live like this verse says. To be God's handiwork in those family relationships. End of chapter 5, he talks about children and parents. That among the generations... There's a way to live as God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Chapter 6, he talks about slaves and masters. Now again, this is context because this comes from the day when Paul wrote. And those are examples that fit Paul's world. So we've got to pull that into our time and into our day. What he's talking about there are people who live in authority and under authority. So in our world, that might be examples that have to do with bosses at work or your manager or your supervisor, those who, to whom you are accountable when you go to work. Or maybe you are the boss, the supervisor, the owner. Those to whom you are responsible to take care of, that work for you and under you. That there is a way to do that that shows we are God's handiwork. It's not just workplace stuff either. Think about all the ways those relationships maybe take place. Students and teachers or athletes and coaches or um, theater people and directors, musical instrument players and directors. All of those examples where, you know, we have relationship of some kind. But in all of those things, I think Paul gives us these examples then. And it's not meant to be an exhaustive list, right? That, all right, it's these few things and this is it. No, these are examples that just get us thinking. Thinking about all the ways that we have relationships of so many different kinds with so many different people. But the life of faith that we've been given by the grace of God speaks into all of that. That the life of faith we live moves in all of those relationships, takes shape in all those ways that we live. And how how does it do that? It does that because it displays the same grace that we've been given. The grace of God that has come to us is a grace that we display and live for others. So because we are people who've been forgiven by God, we are now free to live as those who forgive one another. You see how that works? Because we are people who've received the compassion of God, we are free to live as people who are compassionate to others because we are people who've received the blessings of God so generously, we are free to live as people who are generous to others. That when we think about what it means for us to have received grace, that Paul is telling us, you know what? There are examples in your life every single day where you can take what it means for you to have received grace 
and put it to action to show how that grace lives in the lives that we have. And Paul says, this was prepared in advance. God meant for us to live like this the whole time. He set it up. That because God prepared his grace in advance for me, that the life that I now have in Christ has also been prepared in advance for me. So you go from this place today, uh, whatever your life is from here. If you go to work or if you spend time with family, you connect with friends, you go to school, whatever it is that you do, God has prepared that in advance for you. Prepared that in advance for you as a way to show his grace in your life. And we can do that because God is with us, in us, and his Holy Spirit goes with us in that too. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. God, we're sorry for the times when maybe we struggled in how we picture grace to be and for times when we've just let it sit without giving any response at all. But Lord, we're also thankful for the ways that you have prepared every day of our life for us to respond to you. And we pray that as we consider what that means for us, may we always do so taking those steps with 100% assurance that you hold us tight every step of the way as we have freedom in you to give expression to that wonderful grace that we have in the way that we live with one another. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.